hello. My name is Ben Burrell and welcome back to Bob Dylan Album by Album, a podcast that takes an in-depth look at each Bob Dylan studio recording record by record. Thank you to everyone who has left reviews recently. We more than appreciate them. Uh, people like Yupsicle and Death by Agenda and also KevMac71. Some amazing names in there. Um, if you are able to leave a review wherever you're listening from, please do that. It really helps us out. So let's take a look at an album that I think we can all agree isn't that great. But it's interesting to take a look at it nonetheless, just to see how it fits into Bob's back catalogue. This is 1985's Empire Burlesque. And so we come to an album that I think we can class as unloved. It's not a high point for Bob. The artwork alone is caused for write-off and the sound isn't much better. It's a heavily 80s sounding record that went for a contemporary feel, but at times tries too hard to be an 80s rock album. It ends up almost turning into self-parody. However, there are bits to enjoy that just in short supply. After completing a European tour in the summer of 1984, Dylan was ready to make his 23rd studio album. Just to put that into a little context, Bob had now completely shed the born-again sound, having returned to secular music with the previous album, 1983's Infidels. That was a record that had done a decent job in starting to reinstall Bob's reputation as a commercial artist. It reached number 20 in the US and also number 9 in the UK, as well as going platinum here too. It was also held as a sort of return to form critically, which has lessened in hindsight due to some brilliant post-Infidels albums, but we can safely call it a creative resurgence with some impressive songs like Blind Willie McTell coming out of those sessions. Unfortunately, Empire Burlesque would undo all that good work for the most part. It would shepherd in a trio of albums that would form a creative low for Bob. Things would start pretty well though. The European tour contained some big dates and resulted in the live album Real Live, which is actually a decent listen. Not to get too off topic, but as a side note, the version of Tangled Up in Blue on this record is excellent. It's also an important version in the history of that song, something we discuss in one of the Blood on the Tracks episodes of this podcast. Dylan returned to New York from the tour and sporadically began recording in various smaller sessions here and there on both coasts rather than block booking studio time. This would go on from July 1984 to March 1985 and maybe was the first mistake. The record we go on to see is a bit bitty in parts. A more focused recording schedule could have brought about a more focused product rather than the slightly schizophrenic sound we end up with. This was impacted further by an eclectic mix of studio musicians. An abortive session with Al Green's band was held at Intergalactic Studios on July 24th, 1984. There was also sessions with Ronnie Wood from the Rolling Stones, and also slightly bizarrely, musicians including Anton Figg, who's best known as the drummer of David Letterman's house band. That happened at Delta Studios. He also had sessions at the Power Station with cowpunk rockers Lone Justice, and elsewhere he'd bring in reggae duo Sly and Robbie, who played a big role on Infidels. So based on that list alone, we have experts in genres from soul to rock to reggae to punk and, of course, late night talk show, which might have been a fun recipe for an 80s Dylan album or a mismatched wreck. It would, of course, be the latter. The Delta Sessions produced two notable tracks, Drifting Too Far From Shore and Clean Cut Kid, the latter of which sounds like Dylan Does Grease.
The message of the song is actually perfect to Dylan Fodder. The clean-cut kid is an average American kid who is radically altered by his experience in the Vietnam War. Bob sings, They said, listen up, boy, you're just a pup. They sent him to a napalm health spa to shape up. They gave him dope to smoke, drinks and pills, a jeep to drive, blood to spill. Those final two lines in this section are alluding to the US military plying servicemen with speed, steroids and painkillers to help them in extended combat. Later we then hear how they're tossed back into society post-war with those lines of They said congratulations, you've got what it takes. They sent him back into the rat race without any breaks. And finally, the grim ending is spelled out for us in no uncertain terms as Bob sings, He could have sold insurance, owned a restaurant or bar, could have been an accountant or a tennis star. He was wearing boxing gloves, took a drive one day off the Golden Gate Bridge into China Bay. While the message in this song is clearly an important one, and it's always great to see Bob tackling an issue, he does it better than anyone else, it does feel a little unconvincing. You just don't feel it in Bob's voice. He never sounds like his blood is boiling. Further to this, the novelty of the Sonics don't add an ironic twist to proceedings, they cheapen them. I think they might have been going for a sound that would add an almost sarcastic clap to those lyrics, but that gets lost. Take those backing vocals, for example. Their over-glitzy nature lack that nod and knowing wink to give them a much-needed sarcastic irony. Finally, my biggest problem with this song is that it's just not that clever. When Bob does politics, it's usually full of wit or seething put-downs, or he's speaking for the silent majority who don't have a voice. Here, there's none of that. It's a pretty straightforward belief that doesn't really bring anything new to the table. It feels like he's on autopilot with the words. I've said many times, I'm a fan of when Dylan goes for a simple rhyme. This is littered throughout his career. We think of him as an expert wordsmith who has complex verse at his disposal, and he is, but often he writes wonderfully straightforward lines that just fit perfectly together. For example, her folks said our lives together sure was going to be rough. They never did like mama's homemade dress. Papa's bank book wasn't big enough. But here, those simple rhymes just feel more laboured as he sings... They took a clean-cut kid and made a killer out of him. That's what they did. That final line, you feel, isn't there to add to the lyrical meaning, more just solely to rhyme with kid. It's basically confirming what's been said in the previous two lines when there's no need to. The song's presentation also feels a bit half-hearted, and that's an issue throughout the record. I'm not sure Dylan's motivation was really there during the sessions. It might have been a case of Bob not really caring, like he might be a bit burnt out. That's something that I'm sure can easily happen on your 23rd record, or perhaps it was more of a lack of confidence in the studio. Ronnie Wood is quoted on his surprise at Dylan's lack of authority during the mixing process. He says, The engineers would say, Hey Bob, we don't need this. And he'd say, Oh, okay. And they'd mix it to their ears, and he'd just stand outside and let them do it. There would just be something going on in the back of his head which wouldn't allow him to interfere. And yet, if he'd gone into the control room with the dominance that he had whilst we were cutting the stuff, it could have been mind-bending. 
It feels like that was the case elsewhere on track three, I'll Remember You, a ballad that if it had been made during the Infidel sessions, say, might have turned out okay. Here though, it really lacks a punch. When I've forgotten all the rain You to me were true You to me were the best This is the type of ballad that Dylan has written time and time before. They're usually an album highlight, and here the groundwork is present, but it never quite comes off. Instead, we get a stilted atmosphere with that humming organ sound and guitars where you hear the strings as much as you hear the notes. Also, the percussion is achingly clean cut. It doesn't sound natural. It's dripping in studio technique and creates an atmosphere where drama is suggested, but it actually comes across as a little synthetic. This song is also really direct. In fact, the whole album is very direct. Just like with Clean Cut Kids, the meaning is obvious, almost too obvious. There's no mystique at all, and at times it lacks an identity because of this. Many of Bob's best records have a strong identity with a core set of themes. Almost everything about Nashville skyline screams country. Mortality and growing old lingers over modern times, and famously there's a stark social conscience on times they are changing. Even lesser-loved albums like Saved still have a core thread running through them. With Empire Burlesque, just like the music, the themes and meaning are a little scattergun and a little ordinary. In another ballad, the album closer Dark Eyes, we switch everything up again as Bob sheds the rest of the album's 80s sounds, adopting something similar but still removed from his earlier period. Dylan wrote the song after a chance meeting in a hotel. He says, As I stepped out of an elevator, a cool girl was coming towards me in the hallway. She had blue circles around her eyes, black eyeliner and black eyes. She looked like she could have been beaten up and was afraid that she'd get beaten up again. She had a beautifulness, but not for this kind of world. While the song hits more heights than, say, I'll Remember You, it still barely gets off the ground. It's just all a little rudimentary. Bob flicks between versions of the A, E and D chords, repeating them almost verbatim throughout the song. This isn't uncommon for Dylan to keep the chords simple, but it's usually backed up with well-beating lyrics or interesting sonics. Here we're treated to neither of the two, and it gets a little repetitive. Listen to where we are 25 seconds in. And the midnight moon is on the And how we're still there basically four minutes later. While this is not a bad song, it does add to the album's problem. Bob's always been really good at subtly blending in new sounds on albums, and it's exemplary that he's still trying to do that here, but when it doesn't work or result in a good collection of songs, the process serves no purpose. In yet another shift, track two, Seeing the Real You at Last, we have a song that has a Bowie Young Americans vibe to it, but without the flair. The lyrics here are somewhat bizarrely made up of lines from old Hollywood films, and the situation isn't really improved by the tune's sonics. 
Of course, it's easy to scoff at a sound which now feels dated, as a lot of 80s tracks can do, but Infidels has aged with much more dignity than the songs here, and with the albums coming only two years apart and the sessions being so closely linked, you have to point fingers at the songs. Track 8, When the Night Comes Falling from the Sky, was dubbed as Disco Dylan. It sounds like it should be soundtracking an action film with Tom Cruise, which is not a bad thing, but you're never convinced Dylan has the attributes to pull it off. One look at the song's video shows you an uncomfortable Dylan trying to be a rock god, and that tells us everything. Originally, this was recorded with members of Springsteen's E Street Band. But on the 23rd of February, Dylan returned to the power station with Sly and Robbie, his backup singers, and a number of session players, including Al Cooper, who cut another version of the song that appears on the album here. Again, it's not a horrible song. It's a bit of a mess, though. There's some big disco drum fills, an electric harpsichord, a warm synth, some bongo drums thrown in, and guitars that are either playing a furious disco riff or big stadium rock notes. I think the production approach was, let's just throw this in and hope that it works. This shows a real lack of confidence in the sessions. There's a feeling of hoping one of the many production ideas would work rather than basing the song around a solid concept. The alternative E Street Band version released on the bootleg series, which unsurprisingly has a Springsteen vibe, shows there's a decent tune here somewhere. This is never going to be a Dylan classic, but it does highlight that production is a big issue on this album. And as sole producer, I think Dylan has to take the blame for this. Again, it does sound dated now, and I think even back then it would have had a whiff of unintended parody. It's the same case for track seven, Emotionally Yours. Come baby, find me. Come baby, remind me. Of where I once began. Just like elsewhere, it feels like the song is a little out of sync. It just doesn't feel like Bob has the vocal attributes to carry it off in the way the production demands. Whilst the chorus is a little bit sickly sweet, I have personal affection for the bridge, which ends up actually being an earworm. Those lyrics of, it's like my whole life never happened. When I see you, it's if I never had a thought. I know this dream, it might be crazy, but it's the only one I've got. Give us the impression of the song's narrator looking for someone to rejuvenate his life, like he's looking to start again. Something that's also found in the song's opening line of, come baby, find me. Come baby, remind me of where I once begun. This is a common theme in Bob's work from the 80s and beyond. In fact, it's not unfair to say the whole Born Again period was a manifestation of this. After becoming an icon, I think it's fair to say Bob wanted to renew himself and his life. But this meaning is lost in this clouded production. Elsewhere, sometimes the lyrics are as bad as the production. Take track six, Trust Yourself, for example. Trust yourself to know the way that will prove true in 
recorded alongside I'll Remember You on February the 5th, Trust Yourself Musically is clunky, moody jazz rock that has a pumping bass line and a rolled-down-the-keys organ sound. The percussion tries to create a tense atmosphere that attempts to be moody, but actually comes across as a little camp. The percussion also sounds cheap. It's the same for the lyrics. It has a Sesame Street educational song vibe where you should learn to trust yourself as we get lines like, trust yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to do what's right and not be second-guessed. Trust yourself. Trust yourself to do the things that only you know best. Trust yourself. This feels like a low point on the album. And that's only matched by track five, Never Gonna Be The Same Again. Whereas the album's other big ballad, I'll Remember You, just misses the mark, this clears it by an almost country mile. That electronic harpsichord is back, and here its annoyance increases. And to say Bob's vocals gel well with Peggy Blue, Deborah Bird and Carolyn Dennis as the backing vocalist on this particular track would be an overstatement. I'm not saying both vocal tracks are terrible, but they don't complement each other in the way they should do and in the way they do on other recordings. The melody, once again, is pretty decent and there's a good hook too, but as is the case with the rest of the album, the production just swamps it all. The penultimate track, Something's Burning Baby, suffers from this too. However, it manages to overcome and transform into an album highlight. This is all despite the fact the opening bars sound like they could be soundtracking a cheesy courtroom scene from a military thriller. Unlike I Remember You or Emotionally Yours, the main melody here is less showy and more solid. It also complements Bob's delivery, making him sound much more confident, a rare thing on this record. Also, the sonics are improved as well. It feels like it's trying to be less cool. It is just what it is. Of course, it's still very 80s sounding and sounds similar to other tracks on the record, but it's just more subtle than, say, When the Night Comes Falling From The Sky or Never Gonna Be The Same Again. There's still lots going on with that big production, but while it's still busy, you feel everything is there for a reason rather than just there to be thrown in hoping something will stick. Listen to the nice riff on the synth that kicks off a strong passage in verse 2. That line of, why is the light in your eyes nearly gone, has a heartfelt delivery. There's probably more heart in those two or three seconds than on whole tracks elsewhere on the record. Also, the lyrics are a little bit more intriguing. They're less obvious and more mysterious. I particularly like that passage of, even the bloodhounds of London couldn't find you today. I see a shadow of a man, baby, making you blue. 
And in those lyrics, there's a foreboding that is everywhere on this track, like it's the opening scenes of a horror film. It feels like things are about to go very, very wrong. Like a lot of Dylan's songs, there's an apocalyptic feeling to this track. It begins with that snare roll on the drums. It's like it's soundtracking the start of a platoon's last stand, something that stays with us for the rest of the song. Even on the chorus, a place where things usually are lighter, the drums still sound threatening with that big electronic-tinged boom. Once again, there's a much more subtle approach on the chorus, and I say that within the context of this album. Outside of this record, it is in no way subtle. But again, compared to previous tracks, especially the directly preceding track, this is a less showy affair. Along with Closer, Dark Eyes, this is one of the few times where we don't get a chorus in bold letters. Its dropping melody is steeped in gospel and soul, with a nice bit of slide guitar, as Bob sings, I can feel it in the night, in the night, in the night, when I think of you. I can feel it in the light, in the light, in the light, and it's got to be true. You can't live by bread alone, you won't be satisfied. You can't roll away your stone if your hands are tied. That last line of rolling your stone away has obvious biblical implications as the image of rolling the stone away represents the undoing of fake obstacles. And the rest of the song appears to echo this. It sounds like our narrator is trying to get to the bottom of a broken relationship that is clouded in this apocalyptic setting as Bob asks questions like, what's happening, baby, to make you act so strange? Who is he, baby, and who is he to you? And what's your position, baby, what's going on, to name but a few? This is by no means the perfect song. Dylan sings Baby 15 times, which is enough to write any tune off. But unlike a lot of Empire Burlesque, it has hidden depths and is a more compelling listen. And it's not alone in that respect. Things really come together on album opener, Tight Connection to My Heart. For once the production works, it's everything the record wanted to be but fails at. It's fun, poppy and has a contemporary 80s sound. This song, like a lot of others, began life during the Infidel sessions. There it was titled, Someone's Got a Hold of My Heart. Dylan uses this original song as a backing track, adding some overdubs in an Empire Burlesque session in January 1985. It's not a major shift away from the original, except there's the addition of yet more old Hollywood movie lines. Again, slightly confusingly, they end up replacing some of Bob's more original lyrics. For example, on more than one occasion, lines from the Humphrey Bogart film Surico pop up. 
In the film, Bogart says, I've got to move fast and I can't with you around my neck, which here becomes, well, I had to move fast and I couldn't with you around my neck. It would appear Bob was going through a flavour of the month phase with film dialogue, and because of this replacement, the meaning tends to get a little lost in this song. It's probably best to look at the original lyrics for any meaning, and they seem to hint at a relationship. It appears with these lines that our narrator has found someone, but that perhaps they're only at the beginning of their relationship, but it already has an uncertain future. The opening lines are, They say, drink and be merry, take the ball by the horns. I keep seeing visions of you, a lily amongst thorns. This is continued later as the song's narrator puts his cards on the table, still with a tentative future as Bob sings, You're the one I've been looking for. You're the one I desire. But you must first realise I'm not another man for hire. This uncertainty is also continued, albeit slightly diluted by those Hollywood lines on the Empire Burlesque production, especially with the bridge of, You're the one I've been looking for. You're the one that's got the key. But I can't figure out whether I'm too good for you or you're too good for me. You're the one I've been looking for. You're the one that's got the key. But I can't figure out whether I'm too good for you or are you too good for me. This is a really likeable song, but sadly it isn't good enough to save the entire record. If there was a couple more like this, then maybe we'd end up with a half-decent album like Infidels, but sadly that doesn't happen. There are positives to take, though. It was a record where there was at least an attempt to move things on and diversify. Sure, it didn't work out, but I'd take this over a well-gone-wrong situation where it's all just a bit bland. Also, as a low point creatively, it lets us experience the highs with more grandeur. Thankfully, some great albums would follow this and they would be made that bit sweeter by us Dylan fans who'd sat through this confused 46 minutes. So in a way, we should be thankful that Empire Burlesque exists. Without the lows, you can't experience the highs. That's it for this episode. I hope you see this particular episode of the podcast as a bad story with a sort of happy ending because there are some redeeming qualities to this record. There's just not that many. Don't forget you can follow us on Instagram and Twitter to keep up to date with what's going on with the podcast. At Bob Dylan Podcast is where you can find us there. Thank you for listening. And until next time, goodbye.